Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Today in this study, we're going to focus in on Luke's genealogy for Messiah. Now, we know something. We know that a genealogy is related to a birth. And we've spent several weeks talking about the birth of Messiah. Who is this Yeshua? But now there's going to be a change in Luke's gospel. Instead of speaking about who he is, the very Son of God, the divine Son of God, he is going to begin to focus upon why he was sent into this world. And what is the reason for that? Well, we can answer that question in one word. And that word is redemption. Now, there's another word that people oftentimes use concerning Messiah's death on that cross. That is, death atones. But realize, theologically, we find that redemption is far superior to atonement. Why is that? Well, the Hebrew word for atonement, kapara, simply means to cover up or to conceal. But that sin is still there. Atonement postpones, it delays God's judgment, but atonement does not remove the requirement for God to judge that sin. But redemption, it's very different redemption eradicates that sin and in doing so that sin is no longer seen or acknowledged by God and therefore there's no need for judgment through redemption there is no longer God's judgment and what's so wonderful about that because Messiah redeemed his people who's his people Everyone who receives him by faith. Everyone who believes and receives that gospel message. You are grafted into the family of God. And we see that redemption came about through blood. Blood was given, that is, he had to die. Whenever we speak about redemption, it involves death. So Messiah, you see, that redemption that he provided for us is a redemption that's only similar to what was offered up in the temple you see in the temple it was the blood of goats and sheeps and bulls and such but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of the very son of god and what is the difference well instead of having a physical or a temporal redemption because Messiah's blood is the element that was used in order to ratify that new covenant. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrew says, we have eternal redemption. And again, 
that wonderful statement, eternal redemption, gives me assurance. I was not saved by anything that I have done. It was, it was accomplished through the work of Messiah, the shedding of his blood, and therefore I have assurance because I have received eternal redemption. And what is inherently related to eternal redemption? Eternal life. So take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Luke, chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 23. And again, we've seen up until now, the focus has been on the events surrounding his birth and also John the Baptist, his birth and his ministry. But now there's going to be a transition. We're going to move away from John and we're going to begin to focus in on not the identity of Messiah. We know that he's the only begotten son. That is seen in his conception, his birth, and what has been studied thus far in the book of Luke. Now we're going to move to the work of Messiah. Why he was sent into this world. How is he going to purchase for us eternal redemption? And notice how this scripture begins. Once more, Luke's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 23. It begins in a unique way. Now, there is the word aftos in Greek. It can mean uh, him, himself, or it can be translated with the word same, meaning the same one. Now, it is found early on in verse 23 in the Greek text. Why? For two reasons. The first, telling us that we're speaking about this same one, this same Yeshua. Secondly, it's used for an emphasis, to emphasize this one. And what about him? Well, the emphasis has to do with what we read. We could translate it. And this same Yeshua, or Yeshua himself, when beginning, and what was he beginning? Well, I've already shared with you this transition from his identity, the very Son of God, to what he was sent into this world to do, and that is to purchase redemption for his people. And therefore, now the emphasis is upon the work of Messiah. And we read here why he was sent into this world. It says, And he, Yeshua himself, or this same Yeshua, when beginning, what was he beginning? His ministry, it says, being approximately 30 years old. Now, that's significant. Numbers in the Bible have meaning. You cannot take those numbers and apply them to things outside the Scripture. The message of a number is only within the biblical context. So the number that is recorded here is the number 30. And in the Bible, when you come across that number 30, you should give it consideration that it's relating to some aspect of death. Why is that? 
Well, in the Torah, more specifically, in the book of Numbers, we see that Miriam, the sister of Moses, that she died in that journey in the wilderness, and the children of Israel mourned her death for 30 days. Similarly, her other brother, Aharon, Aaron, he died, and as well, the children of Israel didn't travel, they didn't continue, they ceased in order to mourn for 30 days. 30 in the Bible frequently revolves around death. Let me give you another example. We know that, that Judas Iscariot, when he betrayed Messiah, when he gave the information and participated in Yeshua's arrest, and in payment for that, he received 30 pieces of silver. So 30 is related to death. Therefore, when we look at the scripture, and it tells us as beginning, beginning what? His ministry. He was approximately 30 years of age. That is to tell us something very important. That God the Father sent his son into this world for a purpose. And what is that? To die. And we need to remember that that Passover is the festival of redemption. We're going to see later on in our study of Luke in many months that Yeshua was put upon that cross. He was crucified on what day? On what's called the preparation day, which is another name for Passover. Because he is our Passover lamb. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. And therefore, he died on Passover, and his blood is a redemptive blood. A, a redemptive blood that, blood that gives us eternal redemption. So when we read here that, that this Yeshua himself, or this same Yeshua emphasizing him, when he began, the implication is began his ministry, he was approximately 30 years of age. Why 30? The purpose that he came into this world was to die. And notice something else. This is another pivotal word for understanding what Luke is concerned about, why he's giving us this genealogy. It says, being supposed to be. Now, it's a word for thinking. So people thought him to be something. And what was that? Well, it says, of Joseph. Now, there's another very important aspect of this genealogy. And here's what's so sad, in my opinion, and that is that, that people translate the Scripture carelessly. They put words in that are not there. Now, maybe it helps for understanding, but it can also lead one in a false conclusion. Now, your Bible will go through all of these individuals and they will say, the son of, the son of, the son of, but that word son is not in the text. What is there is the definite article, that is the word the. And in the Greek language, there are 24 different forms of the word the. That's quite remarkable. And it allows us to be very specific. 
And this form is what's known as the genitive, which is the possessive. We can translate it simply of. So all this is saying, and the definite article is there because we're speaking about a definite person. There are names. Names are relatively relative to an individual. So you have to have before a name when you're speaking about a specific person the definite article in the Greek language. And that's what we have. We have of Yosef. But what is this relationship? Well, it's important because when you look at Matthew's genealogy, very different. Both are true historically. There's no heirs within them. But we see that genealogies, oftentimes, they can take liberties in order to use the names in order to convey a message. And this one has a message as well, this genealogy. So in Matthew, it says, this one begot. He was the father. He was the one that impregnated a a woman in order that this one would be born. This is the term begat in, in English. We don't have that in Luke's genealogy. What do we have? Simply the phrase of. There's a connection, but we're not told what the connection is. Now, obviously, most are fathers and sons, but it doesn't have to be. So Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the word of for a reason in order to say this is a genealogy with a purpose and what is that purpose well we'll see that in a few minutes but look if you would to that scripture once more verse 23 and yeshua himself or this same yeshua this very yeshua when beginning meaning when beginning his ministry he was approximately 30 years old and he was thought to be he was considered supposed to be of yosef now of course this is the joseph in the bible who was married to miriam or mary now here's something else that we see we see people conjure things up when we look at this genealogy there is absolutely no mention of a woman any woman this is not the case with Matthew's genealogy. But everyone acknowledged in Matthew's gospel that genealogy is the genealogy of Messiah through Yosef. So they say Luke puts it in, but his genealogy, because it's different, it is of Mary. Now here's the problem. That's unable to be defended because nowhere in the scripture does it say that. And I'm of the mindset that if the Bible doesn't say it, we ought not teach it. And so it is wrong to just just carelessly and casually say, well, Luke's genealogy is of, of Mary, meaning through Mary. Nowhere is that found in the scripture. That is a supposition which cannot be defended. So we ought not teach it. This is simply a genealogy. Now, let's be careful about something. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, there's that very uh, well-known verse, verse 4, where Paul is warning about paying too much attention to genealogies. 
But here's the problem. When he says that, he's not talking about biblical genealogies. Any genealogy is in, that's in the Bible, we should study. It has revelation. It's true. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's Scripture, and we need to utilize all of Scripture. What Paul was referring to was the fact many people wrote genealogies, and they were theological in nature. And they would construct them in a way of wanting to share something. Genealogies just don't tell us who gave birth to who, who's the father of who, but there's other information there. And this is what we're seeing in this passage. But realize it's true. All of it is factual. Now, there is another point that we need to deal with, and that is when we look at Scripture, we need to realize that there are numerous manuscripts and within those manuscripts traditions for example i've mentioned many times that in regard to the new testament there's two primary greek uh, new testaments one is the one that i like to use the texas receptus but the more popular one and the one that's used for most modern translations is called nestle allen now, they were constructed from numerous hundreds, in fact, thousands of manuscripts. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, primarily people use one of two Old Testaments in Hebrew, what's known as Biblica Hebraica Studengart or the Masoretic Text. But we have to realize something. In 1947, there was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there we found something. We found that there is other manuscripts in Hebrew for the Bible. And these manuscripts differ slightly from the Masoretic text. And these differences go along much closer with what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Why do I tell you that? Because the New Testament, when it quotes anything from the Old Testament, it uses the Septuagint because the New Testament was written in Greek, and therefore it uses the Greek Old Testament to take its citations from. Now, this is important because there are slight differences. What we're going to see when we look at this genealogy, it begins with Yeshua. And it ends with Yeshua, if you go down to the very end of verse 38, it speaks about Yeshua ultimately being of God. Now, we know that he is the son of God, but here it simply says, of God. And why is that important? It speaks about his divinity. So when you look at Yeshua and God the Father here, and you count all the names between them, so not counting Yeshua and not counting God himself. There are, and you can do that, I would encourage you to check it out, there are exactly 75 names. Why is that important? Because the number 75, for example, when you look at the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 14, in the New Testament, it tells us that, that Joseph called for his father. Joseph was a son. He called to his father. 
that all of Israel would come down, his family. And how many were there? Seventy-five. Why is that? Seventy-five went down to Egypt. And they went down to Egypt for a change, a redemptive change. That's why redemption took place in Egypt. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, based upon the Masoretic text, it doesn't have the number 75. It has the number 70. And I do not know why we today, in most uh, Christian Bibles, they go along with either the Masoretic text or Biblica Hebraica Stuttgart, which uses inferior manuscripts. It does not take into consideration the Dead Sea Scrolls, which has 75. So as we get back closer to the original text, we find that any differences are eliminated. And it just shows us that in the original autographs, that means when these scriptures were first written down in the original, they were perfect. But because they had been translated over and over through years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, humans can make mistakes. But there are no mistakes in the scripture, in the original language, in the original writing down. We call the original copy of it the autograph. It is perfect without error. Now, let's move on. What I want to do is here I have not just written the first Greek uh, uh, verse, verse 23, but I have Hebrew here because the names are Hebrew names, and they're easier to say in Hebrew than they are in, in Greek or translating them into to English from the Greek. So I'm going to be doing that from Hebrew, it says. And this same Yeshua, or Yeshua himself, when beginning, that is beginning his ministry, he was approximately 30 years old, being thought of or being supposed, meaning he was not the biological son of, of Joseph. But we know he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it says, being supposed of Joseph, of Eli, of Matat, of Levi, of Malki, of Yanai, of Yosef, of Matitya, of Amots, of Nahum, of Chesli, of Ganai, of Machat, of Matitya, of Shimi, of Yosef, of Yoda, of Yochanan, of Resha, of Zaru Bavel, of Sha'al Tiel, of Neri, of Malki, of Adi, of Kosem, of El Medam, of Er, of Yose, of Eli Azar, of Yorim, of Matat, of Levi, of Shimon, of Yehuda, of Yosef, of Yonam, of Eli Yakim, of Malia, of Mina, of Matata, of Natan, of David, of Yishai, of Oved, of Boaz, of Salmon, 
of Nachshon, of Aminadav, of Aram, some will have Ram, of Chetzron, of Peretz, of Yehuda, of Yaakov, of Yitzchak, of Avraham, of Terach, of Nahor, of Sarug, of Ra'u, of Peleg, of Ever, of Shalach, of Canaan, of Arpachshad, of Shem, of Noach, that's Noah, of Lamach, of Metushelach, of Chanok, that's Enoch, of Yered, of Mahalalel, of Canaan, of Enosh, of Shet, of Adam, that's the first one ever that was born or created by Messiah, created by Messiah in the book of Genesis. And Messiah is indeed, according to Colossians 1, verse 15, the creator of all things, who is what? Of God. So we see here, and again, I would count out these names, 75 in total. Why? 75 in Hebrew understanding relates to redemption a kingdom redemption and that's why for example in the book of daniel it talks about not 1260 days but an additional 75 days from 1260 an additional 30 to 1290 until 1335 another 45 and if you put 30 and 45 together it makes 75 why because when he says blessed is the one who waits for 1335 days that number brings us to the establishment the beginning of the kingdom of god and what we find here is the number 75 relates to not just any redemption but a kingdom redemption and that is why messiah was sent into this world this is what this genealogy wants to express first and foremost that yeshua he was sent into this world he always existed he is the eternal son of god he was sent into this world for what purpose to do his ministry and what was that to die to give his life on passover to be our passover lamb in order to purchase for us eternal redemption and eternal redemption is related to eternal life and that's the message that luke wanted to convey to us that yes he is the son of god yes he is the legal son of of joseph but he is the son of god first and foremost divine eternal and he came into this world to redeem you and me and you can have that redemption that eternal life by one way and only one way by accepting him believing in that gospel that he died but just wasn't dead and buried but he rose from the dead to show us the victory over sin and over death that we can have eternally in the kingdom of god well i'll close with that shalom Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.